Well, good evening. Let's see, am I on? Maybe. Check me on the board. Jesse, I'm not sure that I'm on. Now I'm on. Hi. Welcome. Time to begin our class this evening. We've got a lot to get through, so uh, thank you for being here. Looking forward to our study. This is a, a great chapter, one of my favorites. Um, for various reasons, but uh, the simplicity of the gospel is is uh, brought to life through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So, looking forward to that. Um, before we begin, I've asked Micah Souter to lead us in a prayer. So let's uh, start with that, and I'll turn it over to Micah. Paul is uh, talking to the Corinthians. Again, we've been going through all of these issues, all of these problems that they've been dealing with, uh, gotten through some of the spiritual gifts. And he is coming to this point that I think is very valuable for us to contemplate and to dwell on. Uh, we're talking about the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how important that is for us. Uh, someone illustrated it like this. They said, I couldn't find a balloon. So I found a Ziploc bag and it kind of does the same thing. So they said, if you could somehow pop the balloon of resurrection, you would negate the entire religion of Christianity. But amazing, it has never been popped. Paul is going to go through the argumentation that if resurrection is not true, there is nothing in the Bible that is true. Everything hinges on this one thing. And it seems so vulnerable, and yet it's never been popped. I think that's interesting. It's, uh, someone else says, our faith in Jesus Christ rests solely on the history. Historicity, the historical fact, of his resurrection. For if not for that fact, everything else he claimed and is claimed for him is open to suspicion of deliberate fraud of ignorant mythology. In, in a simple case is it all hinges on the resurrection. If the resurrection isn't true, there is no reason for us to be here tonight. None. Zero. The whole system is collapsing if that balloon is popped. And Paul's going to create this argument. He's going to establish what he's talking about. 
And I think it's important for us to see the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the overcoming of death for all of us. It is central to what we're about. It is central to my life serving God that the resurrection of Jesus is true so that he shows that our resurrection is assured. It's huge. This concept is big. And there's 58 verses in this chapter, and we're going to have a hard time getting through all of those. If we don't quite get through them, we'll uh, uh, slide that over into next week. But I, I want to make sure that we understand the essentialness of the resurrection. It's a great chapter. Let's uh, dig into it a little bit and see how Paul breaks this down. Let's read the, the first 11 verses and um, see if, if do we have a volunteer to read um, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. May I do that? Tony? Uh, let's get a mic to you real quick. And uh, what version are you reading from? Uh, New, King James. New King James. Thank you. 1 through 11. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, but which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for us according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve. After that he has been seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly, abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of the God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Very good, thank you. All right, so um, I'll probably answer the first part of the, the question up on the board. List everyone that Paul mentions here in this chapter who saw Jesus's resurrected body. So he mentions Peter, the twelve, more than 500, and he says most of them are still alive, James, all the apostles, and then himself uh, he mentions as well. So I guess the, the major issue with that is the second part of that question. Why is that important? What does this establish? Why does Paul list all of these people? Uh, Josh, we'll see. You're making a claim that a bunch of people don't think could possibly be. The best help to your claim is witnesses. And in this case, he's listing off not just that people saw him, but he's listing specific people that you can go to to fact check it with. I think that's very important. Again, in this day and age, a witness was uh, the highest form of verification of something. So, anything different, Vicki? No, just that it adds validity to this claim. Okay. 
Yeah, validity to... Because, you know, a lot of people saw him die. Uh, not all The 12 all scattered. Uh, I think John was there. But, um, but there was a lot of witnesses that saw his death. And so Paul is going through this list of people to show verification. To go, if you have a question about this, there are still people that can attest to Jesus being alive after crucifixion. I think that's very important. Um, yeah, verifiable. Um, let see what else I've got there. That fact brought these people no extra power, no riches, no accolades, but persecution, slander, poverty, and death. Um, so attesting to this fact didn't create some sort of uh, glory for them or wealth for them to attest that I saw Jesus risen from the dead really led them down a path of difficulty, not exaltation. It wasn't like, yeah, I saw him, you know. It became a source of difficulty to show, hey, he rose again, but I have nothing to gain from saying that he rose again except for, you know, eternal. There, there was no physical benefit to say, yeah, that... I'm attesting to this fact. I think that's important. Um, I think that's cool. And so, yeah, there were a lot of people. That, that isn't just a small group. It wasn't just the 12. It wasn't just a uh, small select. Yeah, we, we, the 12 of us, we saw them and no one else saw them. I mean, that's a big number, 500 people. I mean, again, Allie's wedding, we had, what, a couple hundred in there. I mean, you're talking a multiple, multiple rooms of, of a, a gathering of that number. And so uh, I think that's significant that they all saw him. Uh, you know, I think it's important, even Thomas, you know, we don't talk about uh, Thomas too often. He was called Didymus, the twin. He was used to a misrepresentation of someone else. I mean, to me, it seems like Thomas was like, hey, I get mixed up all the time with somebody else. I'm a twin. I know what it's like to be mistaken. It, you know, we give Thomas a hard time, but he's, he's the best person to go. Mistaken identity? Yeah, that happens because there's someone who just looks like him. It's not really him. And, you know, we, we see that episode of Thomas saying, you know, unless I see... The, the, the marks that I won't believe, he saw him and believed, you know, Lord and my God. I, you know, I think that's interesting too. Um, and so these guys, there were a lot of people who saw Jesus resurrected. Um, quickly, what's the difference between the death of Christ and the resurrection. You know, Paul kind of mentions a few things here. What does each one of those do? I think it's important that we think about both sides of this, both the death and the resurrection. Um, but to be completely honest, every one of us will die. Everybody who has ever lived before us has 
died, there's something special about being raised from the dead. I mean, even Lazarus was raised from the dead, but then he eventually died physically too. So what's the difference between the death of Christ and the resurrection? I don't know if you've thought through some of those. Um, Any thoughts on that? Um, We've got a few. Raymond, uh, Nina, and Katrina. Beth, yeah. Nina. Because it was prophesied that Jesus would die and and rest. And so it was very important that this take place because this is his defeat of Satan because he overcome death that Satan thought he had him when he had him killed. But then he overcame death for good and for all of us. And so it's important to us because had he not done that, then neither would we have the opportunity to go to heaven. Okay, all right. So I think there's a lot in there. We're going to unpack some more of that. Beth? She talked about the prophecy being yes. and death. And without death, he couldn't conquer death. Okay, good. Katrina? Um, I just think when we look at the death, that that was the ultimate sacrifice. Um, and then the resurrection is his victory. Um, you know, he's king now, and it's not that he's going to die again. He's done. Yeah, the, the death pays for my sins. That was the sacrifice of him giving himself for me. It appeases God's wrath. We see that whole system of sacrificing in the Old Testament leading up to that point of having something die because of sin. Jesus died because of what I willfully disobeyed God for. What a blessing that he did that. Right? To your point, it looks like a, the fulfillment of the transaction. There had to be a purchase. And he's in. And then with the, the thing that's interesting about the resurrection is the term first fruits is in here too. Yes. This is not just a proof of deity and uh, the creator, but the first fruits going forward. Like he, he led them out of Egypt. He's leading. He, this is why you follow the way. It's short and narrow. Um, it's, it's something to really think about. I know when we do the Lord's Supper, we're, we're focused on. David Fisher did something several months ago about he focused on the resurrection a little bit more than, than the death. And suddenly it takes a different turn. There's a, there's a little bit of a celebration and a memorial of it than just the, the blood. But you need both. You need it is. It is a. Um, they are tied together so much, and I don't think we should negate one over the other. There is benefits of both of those things, but. The resurrection, it then, is the proof that all of these other things are true. Because, like we mentioned, humanity has all died. There is death for all of us eventually. Either has already happened for some and will happen for those of us who are living. It is inevitable. But Jesus being raised from the dead gives us something to hope. It is the proof, it is the symbol of our eventual resurrection as well. And he's going to make that point. Other thoughts on that? 
because we're going to come back to that first fruits when we get there. So let's uh, let's uh, move on in the chapter. Uh, let's read verses 12 through 19. Um, this is a, a lot of logical argumentation, but uh, we're going to break this down. So as we read this, we'll look through that. Any volunteers to read that? Heather, you want to do that right there? Uh, again, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19, please. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testify about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, that is true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ will perish. If Christ, if in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Thank you. Alright, so he says, How can you not believe in a resurrection? Again, there's that sect of uh, people, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in a resurrection. Uh, I don't know if he's talking to them specifically, but he's saying, look, if, if there's no resurrection, then Christ himself had not been raised. If Christ hadn't been raised, then our preaching about this is in vain. We're, we're saying that these things are true. They're not true. Therefore, our faith, the thing that we believe in, is in vain, and we have become false witnesses. What we're saying is not true. And so, what are the results of a lack of resurrection from these verses? What's he say? You're still in your sins. There has been no sacrifice for you. There is, honestly, there's no hope. There, there is nothing that we can do to appease God's wrath. If this isn't true, we're liars, we're teaching lies, and you are hopeless. Oh, boy, that's, that's depressing. And yet, we see the reversal of that to know if this is true, if Jesus had been raised from the dead, then our preaching is true, our faith is true, and we're telling you the truth, and your sins are forgiven. You have the hope of resurrection ourselves. It is more than hope. We'll talk more about that. But it is an expectation of resurrection. Jesse? This is a bit of a naive question, but when, uh, when Paul said, you know, not believing in the resurrection, does that mean not believing in an afterlife or the ability to come back from the dead or both? Well, what did that uh, term resurrection mean? What's the connotation? I don't know. Um, that, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure that I've uh, thought that through. Any, any thoughts on Jesse's question? Um, I'll have to chew on that a little bit. Tony? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of coupled in with arguments against him being flesh because mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there are still people that teach that. Yeah, yeah. It's the same point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting, again, going back to that balloon thought that are we to believe that this group that doesn't believe in a resurrection has gotten by with such a monstrous hoax to have duped millions of the best minds for almost two millennia? I mean, here we are. 2,000 years later, and we're still upholding this fact, and it has not been demolished. It seems so vulnerable again, and yet it is the solid rock on which everything else is built. It's amazing. Craig? Yeah, we actually we were just studying Acts 3 last night, and it's the Sadducees who were the very first people to raise a fuss about the gospel. They had healed this lame man, and it's the Sadducees who come and arrest John and Peter, specifically because they were teaching that someone had come back from the dead. And so from the very beginning, they were trying to squash it. They were trying to you know, put an end to it. Because it has a cascading effect. Right, yeah, because if, if that, yes. Jesus is alive, well, that means this, and that means this, mm-hmm. their whole system falls yeah. apart. Yep. And yet they couldn't. They couldn't put a stop to it. Yeah, yep. Uh, someone wrote, if this life is all there is, Christians are pitiful fools to be hoping in Christ. They would be better off to abandon the teaching of Jesus, which insists on counting others better than self, or turning the other cheek, or giving up one's liberty and rights for the sake of others. Again, these things have consequences that if that isn't true, man... It makes our life completely different. It is a difficult life. It is a life of self-absorbency. It is a YOLO, you only live once type of attitude. You might as well suck all the marrow out of it that you can, just for you. And boy, that's, uh, we see that is not a very satisfying life. Other thoughts on that? Luke? There's a play that Oscar Wilde wrote um, that works out the whole thing with Herod and John the 
that's how it's applied. So he takes the New Testament, he takes a logo from Josephus, and he, he fills in the gaps. And it's kind of funny because his part, I think he nails Herod's character. And Herod's talking about somebody's mentioning about the society of Jesus, he's going out and he's healing people. Herod's like, yeah, that, that's okay. Because, you know, the people, they, they struggle with a lot of things. And they said, yeah, but they said that Jesus has raised somebody from the dead. And Herod says, no, 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 he, he can't do that. Tell him not to do that. So why does he draw that line? Well, if you, you read the whole play, you realize what's going on there is that Herod realizes that whoever controls death controls other people. And that, that was him recognizing this person is undermining himself and setting himself up as a really kind of better king. <laughs> so I thought that did a good job in the play for recognizing that. And again, you know, when you understand God created death, he built that into the system. He has the ability to overcome that. That death is Satan's tool. He uses that as evil. And yet, God has control over that ultimately and can choose to raise people from the dead. As we look at an afterlife, that is, uh, it is valuable. Daniel? Definitely makes, uh, it changes life goals for sure. Yeah. Good. Lisa? Well, I just love that um, he knew we would, as humans and as limited as we are, he knew we would have a hard time with this. Mm -hmm. That's why um, uh, all the many things that came from what happened with Lazarus, just the, the pointedness, the purposeness of him waiting so long before he even got there to make sure everyone there in the whole area knew, you know, so there, there was a lot less chance of someone saying that it was a trick. Um, uh, just the emotion that he displayed and that just his words when he called Lazarus forward and that then he then, uh, you know, a year or two later at another Passover time of year, I mean, he has been telling people that this was going to happen to him as well. And it wasn't in a bragging way. He was trying to let us know, and those with him, this is going to happen to me too. And he even went so far as to make sure that hundreds and hundreds of people saw him and 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 could testify about it. And here he is still helping us deal with. And I honestly, I don't think my brain really still wraps around it. I just know it makes him all powerful, infallible, and all loving. And that's why I can give him. Yeah, yeah, well put. Other thoughts, Luke? Yeah, I just 100% agree with Daniel. I think there's almost a sense sometimes where he thinks that wanting the reward almost kind of cheapens it. And you got to put it in its right place. When you put it in the right place, because I think there are cases where sometimes maybe we want the reward more than the rewarder. But, but the reality is they come with a package. And Jesus refers to this several times about eternal life coming. And he even refers to it as a reward. So he looks at this as positive stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a balance with all of that. You can't just be looking um, for the mansion over the hilltop and then, you know, just it's all about us and enjoying all of that. It is about 
being with God for eternity, I think that's important. Right? Isn't it about also what Luke was just saying? Isn't that the, the, the point? Um, it was his original intent, eternity in the garden. It was his original will. And being reconciled to that, you should lean really hard into, into that. It's, that's his will. Um, but I, I know in the, in the flesh we are un, undeserved. And each one of us constantly convicted um, when we read it. But we're yielding to something only he could perform. Mm-hmm. And um, another point about um, the person you were quoting about you know, Christians living for, for nothing mm-hmm. and turning in cheek of these concepts. About the world speaking well of you. You know, what's so interesting when the world does speak, they're still speaking a little bit of truth. And what they were saying, whoever that author was, is essentially actually proclaiming the Christ in Christians. Because everything that was mentioned there, um, Christ did when he was here. And it's just so, they're spiritually dead. It's just a fact. And as, they, as that comes out of their mouth, it's actually a spiritual truth from from spiritually dead people. And you just have to tune in to what they're actually saying, and you can actually sit back and go, you're right, but you're wrong. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, It's interesting, he's not just focusing in on resurrection of the dead after death, but in verse 17, he focuses in on it completely negates the transformed life in this life. Well, yes. There's no dying with Jesus and being raised again uh, in baptism. That that your whole new life gets taken away as well. There's no point of any kind of transformation in your life either. Yeah, well said. So on the other hand. move on to the next section there, uh, 20 through 23. I'll just read that. Uh, it says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Again, he's making this logical argumentation. You know, there there have been other people who have raised from the dead in the Old Testament, Lazarus, we've mentioned. There are a couple others, but they died again. Their bodies underwent decay. So even though they may have been the first one to be raised from the dead, they didn't ultimately stay alive. They then died again. He's saying Jesus is the first 
fruits of this process. How do we, how is Christ the first fruits? What is that connotation? What is that Old Testament language? How is those correlating back from the old law into Christ being the first fruits? How does, what is that argumentation from Paul, how does that help this process for us? Right. God's good at that. He's really good at that. Um, Katrina? Oh, sorry. Josh, I'm sorry. So I guess to answer your current question. Yeah. That's exactly right. The first fruits. I mean, again, that was what the harvest. You're giving up that. You know, you've you've planted, you've cultivated, you've you've gone through the process, you've gone through the winter, and finally you got the first fruits. And it's like they were instructed to give that up. Why? Because there's more to come. There. This is not the last event of resurrection. Here, there is. The promise to us that there is more to come. That harvest is going to continue to come in. And that gives us hope. That gives us that assurance that we need. Katrina. Um, so they did, you know, get the first fruits of the harvest. They also get the first fruits of war. They are the first fruits of the Canaan land. Um, and here we see, like with Christ, he lived without corruption. Seen that were perfect when they were given, 
they were corrupted and being sacrificed. He wasn't. And that is what gives us hope that we cannot be corrupted when we're resurrected. And without that corruption, then we can be holy and set apart and be have a perfect relationship with a perfect God. This fact has a lot of implications for us. Then, oh, sorry, oh, Raymond, and then that one. Sorry, get your mic here. Okay, what Josh and Katrina just said, and you can probably find more of these around the, the typology of the first fruits, but in, in Numbers 13, they're, they're spawning off the land, and I'll skip to the middle way through verse 20, and be encouraged and bring up the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. And I think the typology is that I'm studying this in particular, they're going to spy out the, the land that they're going to inherit. So they're spying, witnessing the land inheritance, which the fulfillment of is Jesus is proceeding with this resurrection and going on um, before us. And what's interesting is they bring an evil report because they get scared. And to say there's no resurrection, I'm sorry, that's an evil report. Um, his own people rejecting him is the fulfillment of these people saying, giving the negative report, lying about how hard, how bountiful the, the land is. And so it's it's really important to, to get the, the resurrection. It's, it's a strange typology that there's much more going on in this Numbers 13 through 15 than, than I ever, ever thought. But you even have the people, his own people rejecting him to his face. They reject the fruit to the fruit. Yeah, well said. No. In um, Acts 26, 23, he says that Christ was to suffer and that as the first of the resurrection from the dead, he was going to proclaim life both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So he resurrected all of these other people who uh, were talking about resurrecting didn't resurrect in the same sense because they were brought back to life by the very same creator that brought them in life to start with. So he gave them life and he can give them life anytime he wants to. But he actually overcame death on his own power, never to die again. And because he did that, then he gave us that same ability. We can do that because he Praise God. Okay, so it's a totally different resurrection from Lazarus. He brought he brought Lazarus back himself and so he came back on his own power mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's right yes there was no one else um so that's why he was a first he, he, that's true yeah so he <laughs> the power was within him to bring himself back it wasn't someone else laying their hands on jesus's tomb and saying jesus come forth there there wasn't any of that he had control of that himself uh, and that is different as well yeah good point yeah um, I'm sorry, Mary. Um, also, similar to what I think others have said, first fruits was an expression of their faith in the Creator. And I think you kind of replied that. As we have that hope is an expected you know, realization and not just, um, oh, we wish it to be. We have full faith that we will be resurrected because Christ was. And I think that word hope, I mean, I think that is should be instilled in this concept between this resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope 
that that gives us as Christians today and for all time. I mean, it is the thing that is essential that Jesus says, I'm going to overcome death. Death is not a barrier for me. We will come through this together. What a blessing that is. Um, sorry, Vicki, hang on just a second. Get your mic. Yeah, that is interesting how God is giving us these first fruits, not just uh, the other way around. Yeah, there's so many ways uh, of looking at that. I think it's important. Um, let's see. All right, let's keep moving on. I know we're not going to get through this, but uh, it's a good discussion. All right, let's read um, 24 through 30. 34, and see if we have anything there. Um, any readers? 24 through 34? Daniel? Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted to put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him to put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Let's pause right there just a second. So again, um, what will Christ do at the end? He's saying, look, he's handing the keys back to God the Father. He's abolished all rule and authority. He has put all enemies under his feet. He has defeated death. He's returning that authority back to God. And he's saying, the job is done. That, that was what he has said in that little section there. So, sorry, continue in verse 29 there. Stars differ from star and glory. 
you know, right there. That's fine. We'll get uh, into that last section there. Um, so again, I am not going to answer baptism for uh, the dead because I don't know and not many other people know. Uh, I do have an article on that if you would like to uh, see some ideas on that. I'll make you a copy of that. So I don't want to get into that topic there in uh, verse 29-30. Um, but what is it that he's saying through that argumentation? He's saying, again, if there's no resurrection... Why is there still baptism? Why is that symbol of death, burial, and resurrection still being, still happening if there is no resurrection? That symbol of baptism, he's making the argumentation that it's silly to use baptism as a symbol if the thing that you're symbolizing doesn't exist. And he's saying... Baptism in itself is a symbol of this process, and we mention that in you know when people are baptized, that that symbolizes the death, the burial, and the resurrection coming and that changing of life. And Paul's using that argumentation. He's like, if there's no resurrection, there's no sense in being baptized. Like that's the symbol of what it is that you're going through the process of. He's saying, why suffer persecution for that? Why go through the hardship of becoming a Christian and doing the things that Christians should do? Why do that if there's no resurrection? You, th- there's no sense in that. That's what Paul's saying there. Um, oh, I see. Bell's not ringing. First bell? Okay. All right. Um... Thoughts on that? Raymond? And then Josh? Satan likes to corrupt forms of worship. He he doesn't really need to work hard with paganism and stuff like that. But if if he can attempt to alter the way people believe about baptism, um, you should expect that. We're warned about grand apostasies anyway. But the act of baptism being no concern, you know, um, dismissive, done in a, in a wrong way, in a wrong name. Um, I just think you conspire to corrupt authentic walks with Christ. Yeah, Josh. Let's, um, well, one minute. Sorry, Katrina, sorry. Go ahead.
into this system. And for them, it is, I want to live the best life possible, I want to live as long as possible, and die. We have something they need. They need to know about Jesus. They need to know that the resurrection is happening. And we need to spread that message. But we have hope. Hope, hope, hope. Praise God. Alright, we'll pick up um, somewhere in there and then we'll finish that up next uh, Wednesday and uh, get through that. So, Sunday we're going to be talking on a specific topic. I can't remember... TBD. So. Okay. All right. So Luke will handle that on Sunday. Thanks for your thoughts and comments, and uh, continue to share that.